0: to the Psych Central Podcast, where each episode features guest experts discussing psychology and mental health in everyday, plain language. Here's your host, Gabe Howard.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Psych Central Podcast. We are here today talking with Dr. Nate Ivers, who is the Department Chair and Associate Professor at Wake Forest University. Specifically, we are going to be discussing how to openly talk about suicide in our communities, Nate, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate uh, your uh, inviting me to be here and uh, for allowing me to talk about something so very important.
1: Well, we appreciate you being here as well. Suicide is one of those things that absolutely everybody has heard of. We all know about it, and believe it or not, we're all talking about it just generally incorrectly. You're a doctor who kind of studies and researches this. Why do people get it so wrong? Because it's not a concept that people are unfamiliar with.
2: Right. I think everybody, unfortunately, has been affected or touched uh, by suicide. And so, but, but yes, there are lots of misconceptions. To, I think one of the major uh, misconceptions is the thought that uh, those who commit suicide really wanted to die. Um, I think there are some instances where people do indeed uh, want to die. But most often, the reason why people decide that they... Uh, are going to go forward with committing suicide is because they they feel so much pain and they feel so much hopelessness and helplessness related to their situation and they just want that pain to go away.
1: I can really relate to that as someone who has had bouts of depression and been suicidal myself. I've said that you know since I reached recovery, it's not my life that I wanted to end. It was the pain that I wanted to end right. and I saw no right. path forward. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons yeah. I'm so interested in how to discuss you know, suicide and and wanting to die with the public because there's many, many, many misconceptions floating around. And one of the biggest ones that persists is that asking someone if they are suicidal will put the idea in their head and make them want to do it. How do you respond to that?
2: Uh, it is a great question. And I think that's one of the fears that sometimes we have um, about trying to help someone who's going through this sort of pain. But um, all indicators suggest that talking to someone about suicide does not plant it in their brain. Uh, in fact, it's the opposite. Uh, when people are experiencing such pain to the point where they're considering suicide, they've very often are reaching out for help. Uh, sometimes they're doing it very directly by saying, I am considering harming myself. And so they broach the topic. They name the taboo. But many times it's sort of metaphorical. They'll say, I just I just can't keep doing this. I feel like I keep digging a hole and I can't get out. Or I just want to walk into the ocean. I just want to keep walking instead of turning around. And then if we're able at that moment to name that taboo or say, it sounds like you're really hurting right now. And I'm, I'm concerned about you. And it sounds like you might be having thoughts as well of killing yourself. Is that correct? Uh, That sounds hard to say, uh, but in the moment, that's oftentimes what we do need to say. That is what we do need to do because it helps bring the covert to the overt. And when we do that, we can actually do something to work on it with that person. And sometimes I think it brings uh, relief to the person as well that finally this thing that's so taboo that even they have ambivalence about has come out into the open
1: It's fascinating to me that this is one of the myths that persist, because we have all sorts of safety precautions in our society. You know, for example, nobody says that smoke alarms give people the idea to burn their house down, or that wearing seatbelts gives people the idea to drive recklessly. Yet for some reason, people feel that thoughts of suicide are so outside of the norm That they must not be able to come up with this on their own, and that just even raising the name, it's like Beetlejuice. If you say the word suicide, Mm, it will appear, mm, uh, because otherwise mm. nobody's thinking about it. And we've learned through research and understanding that, as you said, that's just not true. People have come up with this on their own, and by nobody talking about it, it gives it space to grow.
2: Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Going back to suicide as a taboo subject, we're unwilling to even consider that someone would go that far as to think uh, of suicide, then it's easier to just ignore it. In ignoring it, I think it does fester. I think it grows. And I think it affects people much more than it might otherwise. As hard as it is, and it's actually really hard for counselors sometimes to what we call name the taboo. And one of the things we do in our training programs is really work with our students to get comfortable with asking that question, because they even bring in with them these misconceptions that if I bring this up, I might be priming my client to consider suicide when they may not have otherwise.
1: Aside from all the misinformation or or worry of putting the ideas in people's heads, etc., I think that another common reason that people don't ask people if they're suicidal is because we don't know the warning signs. Maybe we Mm. are comfortable enough to ask our loved ones if this is going on. We just assumed our loved ones are fine. Yes. What are some of the warning signs? What should people be on the lookout for, for their friends, family, coworkers so that they can provide that care that people may need?
2: Uh, yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. Um, I think it, it also is tied to one of the other misconceptions about uh, suicide, mm-hmm. is that to be suicidal, one must be crazy. One must be seriously mentally ill to be suicidal. And so I know my friend, I know my coworker, I know my son, I know my daughter, I know this person can't be at that level of serious uh, mental health issues. And so I'm not even going to go there with them. And we know that that's not true. in fact, very few people who have serious mental health Um, issues such as psychosis, such as schizophrenia, are actually suicidal. It's much more common for the common person to have a crisis um, and to struggle with some situations and then have these thoughts of suicide. And so I think disassociating it from the idea of it being a psychosis may help us recognize that it. No, it's much more common than we might think. But some of the some of the warning signs um, of suicide. I mean, one of the obvious ones, obvious, is that someone is uh, stating that they want to die. Uh, even even when someone says that, I think we can we can sometimes discredit it by saying, that's not true. Um, You really don't feel that way. Uh, I know you're going through a hard time, but that's just a saying. You're not really meaning that. Um, But that's one of the more obvious ones. Another really really obvious one uh, that we may not consider as obvious is just an enduring sense of hopelessness and despair. So I would say, if you're thinking, if you're worried about your friend or you're worried about your coworker or family member, if they are experiencing this hopelessness that doesn't seem to go away, that's where I might start wondering. Maybe I should ask him or her this question. Uh, Maybe I should say, "Hey, how are you doing? I've noticed that you've been really down lately." That might start the conversation. Uh, So when someone expresses that he or she is feeling like they're a burden, Uh, That sometimes is a good indicator that you might want to ask more. doesn't necessarily mean in any of these instances whether they're feeling hopeless or whether they're feeling like they're a burden that they necessarily are suicidal, but it is a a potential sign that they are. Um, Changes in behavior can be a sign of this as well. So an individual, for example, who is punctual at work, but more recently has been coming in and uh, doesn't seem like he has his or her stuff together quite as much. Uh, someone who's always uh, well-groomed and well-dressed and seems put together and then comes in and is a little bit tattered uh, in his or her appearance. That might be something. It might not, uh, but that might be an indication as well. Uh, other changes, of course, are maybe drinking more or sleeping more or sleeping less, being more irritable, and usually you seem to be fairly easy going. Lots of different, different things like that, uh, just kind of really focus, really recognizing some of the behavioral shifts that someone has. On the flip side of this, which is, which seems a little bit contraindicated, is individuals who have generally seemed fairly depressed or anxious or irritable who all of a sudden seem like they're much more content or happier, that might, that might be a sign that they are uh, considering suicide and they've kind of made up their mind about that. And now they're feeling this sense of pain is going, is going to go away, uh, this sense of peace. And so that's, a, that's another thing that one might want to uh, keep his or her eye on. Whereas we might think, oh, finally, so-and-so is feeling better, but it might be uh, that they're actually closer to wanting to move forward with the suicidal plan
1: now, of course, all of these that you just mentioned, they're signs. They're, they're not guarantees. Yeah. We're going to step away to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back.
0: This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp.com.
1: and we're back talking to Dr. Nate Ivers about discussing suicide in our community. So we move into the next step, which is you sort of want to broach the topic with the person who you're concerned about this. How, how do you broach the subject of suicide with somebody who you see these warning signs in?
2: There's not a perfect way to do it, obviously. And, and some of it depends on your relationship uh, with the person. But I think the first thing that you do is you help them recognize that you notice their pain. Um, you help them recognize that you notice that they're going through something. That there's something different in their life. There are a few things you can say. But, you know, I just wanted to to uh, check in with you for a moment. I uh, I noticed that uh, you've been coming in late to work lately, and uh, you know, this is certainly no judgment here, but you, it just seems like there's something on your mind. That there's just something not to, not quite right uh, with you right now. I wondered if you wanted to talk about that that's sort of a soft in, but in doing that, you're opening up a door and you're also doing as we, what we said earlier is I care about you enough to stop and ask you how things are going in your life. So in its own way, it's kind of an intervention. If the person then responds and says, yeah, yeah, things have been really, really difficult lately. And let's say it gets to the point where they say it feels very hopeless. I just, I just can't keep doing it. I can't keep living like this. Um, Something's got to happen. And at that point, that's where you might get a little bit scared because it looks like it's getting a little bit closer to that taboo. Uh, and that's where you want to say, maybe express that feeling. It sounds like you're really sad right now. Things feel really hopeless at this moment. And again, you might, you might be thinking this, moment, oh, did I just make them feel hopeless? No. Now what you're doing is you're creating a connection. You're expressing uh, that you're hearing them and someone actually understands to at least a degree what they're going through. And as it gets deeper or closer to it, then you say, I just want to check, are you having thoughts of killing yourself?
1: And you should just be that blunt. Should you just look the person in the eyes and, and say it?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Why does that work? I mean, it, it seems very scary just to ask somebody. I mean, I, I can see why people are going to take a deep breath and think, oh, I could never ask somebody that. It seems so insulting.
2: Yes. Well, I, I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard is because it's not something you usually ask in polite conversation. Yeah. You know, even, even things that are a little bit less taboo than that. Hey, are you having a hard time with your drinking? Um, how's your sex life? You know, stuff like that. You don't, uh, you don't really broach those topics very often. It seems like it's very private.
1: Yeah, we're trained to avoid them.
2: Yeah, you have to transcend your conditioning (laughs) just a little bit uh, in these instances to really provide the care that you want to provide. And in the instances where I have asked that question, most of the time when I've asked the question is spent in a counseling relationship and so it's a little bit easier because there's more of an expectation. But other times where I have had to ask that question of a friend, if they weren't suicidal, they very quickly told me, oh, no, 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 no. I'm glad you asked, but no, yes, I'm feeling very terrible right now. Life is hard, but here are all the reasons why I wouldn't do that. Um, And then we move on if I believe them. In other instances where they are feeling a lot of pain, there's usually uh, some silence, maybe a second or two. It might come with tears after that. Um, And then all of a sudden,
1: here it is. They lay it out. Let's say that you ask the question, you you, you say to somebody, are you thinking about killing yourself? And they answer, yes, yes, I am. And then you try to help them, but they, they refuse all help. What do you do then?
2: That, that's when it gets really, really difficult. Um, I would say if, they, um, if it seems imminent, um, and what I mean by that is they say that, yes, I'm having thoughts of killing myself, and I'm scared that I really could do it uh, at any point in time. And they have sort of a plan in place for it and the means to carry it out. Um, I would say what you do is you don't leave them alone. At that point, as much as you can avoid whatever else you need to do, I'd say stay with that person. And uh, I would also recommend calling a crisis line. I would say, look, can we call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline together? And uh, they're going to ask you some questions, and um, I'll be here to assist you through that. Um, And then we can get a better sense of what the resources are in the community and what your options are at this time to maybe help uh, reduce this pain. Because I think what you want to do is... Um, help them know that I'm not just trying to keep you from committing suicide. I'm trying to help you get to the point where this pain can go away. A lot of what you're trying to do without minimizing what they're going through is help them realize that there can be some hope. There can be, even if it's a glimmer, a small light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, so that's what I would probably start with is a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline It may affect your friendship for a while, especially if they're not happy that you did that. But I would say stay with them and say, you know, we're going to make this call together because I'm really worried about you. I can't help you if you die. And if they leave and they say, you know, you know, I don't want to talk with you anymore, I'm out of here, uh, then I would call 911 and just let them know in what direction the person was in and the information that uh, they shared with you and why you're worried about them. I think one of the fears that a friend would have is, am I, am I doing this too preemptively? Um, am I calling in too much help too soon? And could that cause harm? And I would say no. I mean, when in doubt, uh, do what you need to do to help them, but uh, it may be helpful to get uh, additional. Uh, additional assistance. Um, And I would say that's what the hotline would be for.
1: One of the best statements that I ever heard in in a suicide training that I attended once is that you can apologize for overreacting uh, as long as a person gets the help that they need. You can't apologize for underreacting if the worst case scenario occurs. It's sad to think about it that way. It's scary and traumatizing to think about it that way. But yeah, as long as that person's alive, uh, I can repair our relationship. That's right. Let's switch gears for a moment, because we know that no matter how hard we try, no matter how much education there is, no matter how much training, unfortunately, somebody will die via suicide. It, mm-hmm. How might the grieving process differ for those who loved ones have died by suicide than if they pass away for any other reason?
2: Uh, I appreciate you asking that question. Um It's uh, there are similarities, of course, someone has lost someone whom they love, um, but there are differences as well. And I think the differences sort of all coalesce into one thing. It's um, it's the taboo that we talked about uh, earlier. Uh, individuals whose loved one has died by by suicide oftentimes experience a ton of ambivalence associated with it. That's not to say that people who lost a loved one from other causes also aren't ambivalent. But I would say that the the swings are probably greater in terms of that, going from extreme anger and frustration at the person who who died to just really guilt ridden and uh, and sad uh, about the experience as well. It's also hard, I think, for the For the individual sometimes to really talk about the grieving process. Whenever someone experiences something traumatic, it can be uh, therapeutic for them to tell and retell uh, their story. When the death is by suicide, um, oftentimes the loved one, uh, sometimes to protect the memory of the one who died, or other times to to, uh, reduce the amount of judgment that they feel from the community. Uh, doesn't feel like they have an outlet to fully discuss uh, these situations, um, and so it's uh, it's difficult for the person trying to provide support for the individual whose loved one died by suicide. But it's really difficult for that loved one as well because there's all of that ambivalence, and then there's the the fear of uh, how it how it looks potentially to one's community.
1: And what recommendations do you have for the survivors, the person who lost a a loved one to suicide?
2: Well, they have to be aware of uh, some of the some of the signs, uh, some of the behaviors that they may be engaging in that could uh, be exacerbated in the situation. One is uh, isolating themselves too much. So, although that may be their knee-jerk reaction, is I really can't I really can't do this with people right now. I really can't speak with others about this. Um, Staying engaged uh, with others, I think, is really important. And I think it's really important if you know a family or you know a loved one who's dealing with the death of of his or her loved ones, just really keep tabs on that person if it's from a religious or spiritual perspective, I continue to minister to them uh, after the funeral, after the memorial service, after everybody else has gone home. Check in with them because it's you're right. it's not a it's not a linear process, and there's certainly not a timetable on it. that people will be experiencing things for years to come. I would say, especially checking in during important dates like anniversaries or birthdays or holidays. I'd say recognizing that there's no one-size-fits-all model for grief, and so um, knowing that uh, the way that someone died, maybe in that shocking or traumatic sort of way, and that it happened at their own hands uh, by suicide, um, recognizing that it's going, it, it can take a really long time, and giving yourself the, the freedom to grieve, allowing yourself to to be sad for longer than is expected in American culture. Um, Allowing yourself to be angry, allowing yourself to feel guilty, allowing yourself to have those emotions, um, I think is uh, is very important. Preparing yourself for reminders. We think about this a lot uh, when people have post-traumatic stress disorder that they're going to have triggers, but uh, grief has a similar element to that. But uh, being aware that there will be things that come up that will trigger intense uh, emotions. I I would say having sort of a plan in place uh, uh, to handle those situations when it's out in public or when it's at work. And lastly, which I think is a really important one, is there are support groups uh, for individuals and families um, affected by suicide. And so there there are lots of uh, grief and loss groups, but I would say finding one this specific to the type of loss that you've experienced, uh, which is your loved one dying by suicide, yeah, because you will be amongst individuals who will be speaking a very similar language, uh, who will be able to empathize with your situation in a way that's different from those who have uh, lost loved ones in other ways.
1: Dr. Ivers, I, I can't thank you enough for being on the show, and I can't thank you enough for the the work that you do to help demystify the the warning signs, the symptoms, and and everything that surrounds suicide. As we said at the top of the show, it's one of those things where everybody's heard of it, but nobody seems to understand it or know how to prevent it or know what to do about it. And I really think that the work that you're doing uh, will absolutely save not only the lives of the people who are contemplating suicide, but the relationships of the people around them. The The amount of misinformation that, that gets tacked on to this already misunderstood thing <laughs> Uh, it is just yes. incredibly massive, and it, it makes a scary thing all the worse.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me, for giving this platform to to share a, a few pieces of information to hopefully help people um, who are trying to figure out uh, maybe for themselves uh, what would what they need to do, or for their loved ones, or or for a friend of a friend. And I appreciate your willingness to bring up a topic that's so important, but to, for some, so difficult to broach as well.
1: Again, thank you, Dr. Ivers, for being here. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And if you are listening and interested in learning more about a master's in counseling degree from Wake Forest University, I highly recommend that you head over to counseling.online.wfu.edu and see everything that they have to offer. And uh, remember, you can get one week of free, convenient, affordable, private online counseling anytime, anywhere, simply by visiting betterhelp.com slash psychcentral. We'll see everybody next week.
0: You've been listening to the Psych Central podcast. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com show or on your favorite podcast player. To learn more about our host, Gabe Howard, please visit his website at gabehoward.com psychcentral.com is the internet's oldest and largest independent mental health website run by mental health professionals overseen by dr john Grohall, psychcentral.com offers trusted resources and quizzes to help answer your questions about mental health personality psychotherapy and more please visit us today at psychcentral.com if you have feedback about the show please email show at psychcentral.com thank you for listening and please share widely